0: California Southern Baptist Executive Board. He was one of the old sages on the group. I know he loves hearing that. Uh, But we got to be on that committee. We actually were on several committees together. We got to work and serve together. I just learned this morning that when he first came on the board, he was, um, I'll use the term loosely, but being able to be discipled by Max Kell, Melissa's grandpa. So it's kind of just interesting to see, and now he got a chance to to impact me and my life and my ministry. But then it didn't stop there because then he became, he was my professor in seminary for missions. Then he did missions. He was a a longtime missionary with the International Mission Board. He worked in Jordan and in Sudan. And so he was in the north part. I got to spend some time in the south part, but that overlapped. Then if you guys will remember, we had a youth group from Arizona that came and did a whole bunch of work around the church. And there was a gentleman there named Pastor Ben. Pastor Ben is his son right? Pastor Ben is the pastor at Palms Baptist Church, which is the church that Pastor Tim grew up in. So this is just kind of like crazy, man. But now, but now he's the, the director at the Kim School of Missions at Gateway Seminary. Did I say all that right? director of Kim School of Global Missions at Gateway Seminary, and so he's heading up missions, and he is training people to literally go all over the world and not just share the good news of Jesus, but disciple people, and so it is awesome to invite Dr. Paidup to come and share uh, his heart with us this morning.
1: <laughs> Thanks, man. I know. Yeah, I liked him before I even knew that we had connections and we were related somehow like that, uh, before I knew that he was related to Phil. So, yeah, I remember sitting in those meetings, looking across the room, thinking, I don't know who that young guy is, but I think I like him. (laughs) So, yeah, there it is. Um, Thanks for the opportunity, Kendrick, to be here. I was pastoring the First Baptist Church in Barstow. You guys know where that is. I grew up in Anaheim. Nobody ever wanted to be in Barstow if you grew up in Anaheim. In fact, nobody in Anaheim even knew you guys existed out here. This was a long way from Anaheim in the 70s. Yeah, that's how old I am. Uh, but it was, a good, it was a good thing to graduate from high school in the 70s in Anaheim. What a time that was. Nevertheless, what I want to talk to you about today and the topic that I have kind of been assigned, but it hits in what I hope is kind of a, a ministry sweet spot for me, is missions, but not just that, how that relates to you every day. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture connected to that Is in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth and he's kind of reflecting on the book of Acts and their missionary journeys. Before I left Barstow back in May, I was back there for 10 years. I've been at the seminary about 15 years in all kinds of different capacities, but I was pastoring my church back in Barstow up until May of this year. And I had just finished going through the whole book of Acts. I love that. And in Acts chapter 16, you've got this a couple of cool things. You've got the Philippian jailer story, but you've also got the Macedonian vision. Remember that? Paul is has this dream of this guy in Macedonia saying, Come over, you know, and help us. Now in Second Corinthians chapter two, he's reflecting on that because in Acts sixteen, he's in Troas. And then they go over to Macedonia from Troas. Now, in, Acts, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he's reflecting on when I was in Troas, this and this happened. So let's, let's pick that up. I, I wrote the scripture down, uh, and it might be on the screen. I use the New King James Version, not for any special reason. I used to use New American Standard because the seminary gave us those Bibles for free back then. The Lachman Foundation did. You remember those Bibles? So, it's kind of like, you know, working on a bat or being on a basketball team where they gave you Adidas or Nikes. I just took the shoe they gave me. So, I use that, yeah. And so, but, but I grew up kind of with the King James and then used the New King James when I was pastoring in Dallas years and years ago. So, I like the New King James. Let me read that for you. And then I'm going to come back and just bring out four quick points, but tell you some stories about Sudan and Jordan in the process. So, here it is in, Acts, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul, and I imagine he's sitting around in the church in Corinth, and he's done this before, but he's reflecting on those missionary journeys, and he's talking about what happened when they were in Troas, and here's what he says. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. So now he's, re- he's reflecting on, here's when I went to Macedonia from Troas. Now verse 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And if you have a different translation there, it doesn't say leads us in triumph. I'll, I'll come back and explain that in just a bit. Um, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as as from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ." All right, let me bring out just four quick things. If you've got a little, there may be a little map behind me on kind of where we are in the journey. So as he's as he's thinking about all this, this is the second missionary journey. So he goes up through Turkey, and then he's in Troas, and then he goes over to Macedonia from there. So that's kind of the context of where this is taking place physically as Paul's sitting up in Troas. And the first thing he says is, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me by the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit, but that little phrase, "a door was opened to me by the Lord," he doesn't even go into. Wow, this is the first time that ever happened. Uh, I was surprised that that happened. It's just matter of fact. God opens doors. That that's what he states. God opens doors, and I, I I just love that little term. When I came there, I didn't find You know, I didn't find Titus. I came to preach the gospel. A door was opened to me. By the Lord, nothing surprising, nothing astonishing about that. It's just matter of fact for Paul. In fact, so matter of fact that he doesn't even, as he's talking to the church in Corinth, go through the whole Macedonian vision. He just says, "This is what God does. God opens doors," and I really believe that that's a, a truth you've got to grasp onto. If you're if you're aware, if you're looking, you're going to find that God is a God who opens doors. I'll tell you a quick missionary story that's one of my favorite open doors experiences. Back in the day, Kendrick, you may remember this. I mean, even in northern Sudan, we had to have all kinds of permits to travel out of Khartoum. And so you'd have to go get your permit, and then they'd stamp it. Always, I love the guys that stamp your permits. It's, you go in a smoky little office, there's about five guys, and there's one guy behind a desk. He's got a rubber stamp on his desk. He's got a glass of tea, and he's got a cigarette. And that's just the way it is. And he's drinking the tea and smoking the cigarette and he's got the rubber stamp. You don't do anything without the dude with the rubber stamp stamping your paper. So the guy stamps the paper. I get travel permission to go from where I am toward southern Sudan, but actually more toward eastern Sudan. And I've got a plan on this trip because one of my friends is from a village that's down there and he's not a believer. And so one of my friends who is a believer, we decide that we're going to take my friend, and it's a six-hour drive to his village before we even get to where we're going to go. And so we decide for six hours, here's the plan. We're going to play a Christian cassette tape in Arabic so he can hear the gospel. And then after that cassette tape, we're going to discuss it. Simple plan, right? And so we, we're in Khartoum, headed, we get to the first checkpoint. And as we're at the first checkpoint, the, uh, the Sudanese guy standing there, an officer, in the army, he's like, I need to see your papers. You this universal sign for papers, right? And just see your papers. So I give him my paper and he says, Where are you going? And I said, I'm going to this particular village. And he looks in the car and he says, Can I come? And um, you know, and, and he's not trying to spy on me or anything. He just needs a ride to the village. I mean, normally if you've been in that part of the world, you see like Hilux pickups with like 15, 20 guys piled in the back, just going to the village, right? So I say, Okay. And so, as, as I say, okay, he gets in the door, and five other Sudanese army soldiers come around to the other door. They just kind of go around, and they're opening it up. Now, I'm in a land cruiser that's got like seven seats and a way back. And so now the car is packed. And I had just started playing the cassette of the gospel. And so I just turned around as we drove off, and I told the guys, I said, Here, hey, here's what we're doing. We're listening to this guy talking about the, the Bible on this cassette. And then afterwards, we're going to talk about that. And they're like, okay, that's cool. So we drive off, and for the next six hours, we have these incredible discussions. And one of the discussions I really remember is the discussion about uh, when you stand before God, how does God judge you? Because for for Muslims, when you stand before God, he's going to weigh your works, your good and your bad, and then you still need a little bit of God's grace. But this particular discussion, I, I just felt like maybe the Holy Spirit just kind of gave me that little little bit here because here's what I told him I said look when you buy bananas in Sudan you go to a guy on the corner and he's got a scale and the bananas we buy are the bananas that you guys toss out here in America that they're the ones that have brown and white and stuff on them you know the kind that you would look at it and go that's too old to eat that's the kind we buy all the time but I said well, look when you go buy bananas he puts all of your bananas the the, the merchant puts all of your bananas on one side of the scale he doesn't put, you know, break them off and put your good bananas here and your bad bananas over here and weigh those, does he? And they're like, no. You put all your bananas on one side and you put a mizan, a weight, a, an official weight on the other side and that's how your bananas are weighed. So when you stand before God, he doesn't put your good works on one side and your bad works on the other side. He puts everything on one side and his holiness on the other side and you are always lacking. We got out of the car six hours later and those guys were weeping, and they were hugging me, and they were saying, please, you know, let's have this conversation more. And I just remember that day thinking, what a cool open door. Now, I can't tell you that they all got saved, but I'm just telling you, God is a God who, who opens doors. That's, that's, that's the kind of God he is. He opens doors for ministry. I mean, imagine what would it be like if today you decided you were going to look for open doors right here in West Hills on who God might be leading to you and who God might be putting in your path or what ministry God might have for you. God does that. In my evangelism class, Kendrick, you know, we have, I make my students do four evangelism verbatims. They have to have four conversations with people and then report back to me what kind of gospel conversations they had. Years ago up at Golden Gate in Mill Valley, I had one student that pushed back a little bit on that and she said, Her name was was Leah Neuashwander. I could never pronounce her last name. And so I just called this Leah's Way after that. She said, look, can we just do this? Can we just go to a particular place and can we spend a morning and just listen for the Holy Spirit and have our heart open to the moving of the Holy Spirit? And I said, we can sure do that, Leah. So for years, I had an assignment just called Leah's Way, where you just go somewhere and you just listen and you, you try to hear from the Holy Spirit to what door He might be opening for you. So God's a God who opens doors for ministry, but He's also a God who opens doors in your own life. I mean, I, I can't help but believe, even in this group this morning, there's people who feel like, man, you're just in a room that's dark. You know, there, there's nothing there. Uh, you're, you're in a room that's, that's all walls, no windows, you're not going to be able to get out. Listen, God is a God who opens doors. So I don't know what's going on in your life financially, what's going on in your life relationally, what's going on in your life emotionally, wherever you are in life, just know God is a God who opens doors. And Paul's not, again, not astonished by that at all. It's just matter of fact. I got there, he opened a door. So, so that's number, point number one. God is a God who opens doors. Secondly, check this out. Verse 14. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. Now, some of your transma- translations may say he puts us on display. But the second point is God gives you a life of victory. Now, th- again, that little line, some of you, if you, have a, if you have that translation where it says he puts us on display, raise your hand, will you? Let me just see who, who might have that translation. Everybody has leads us in triumph. If you've got your, you guys use Bibles here at West Hills, right? <laughs> Yeah, all right. Some translations say he puts us on display. Literally, it's a it's a L.A. Laker celebratory. That's that's the real meaning of the word. He he is one who who he always leads us in this victory celebration. Not that it's all not that life is always going to be easy, but that ultimately he leads us in triumph in Christ. Now that's a key word in Christ. Leads us in triumph in Christ. This last summer, so the, ne- the next picture there, I was able to go back to Sudan. I hadn't been in a long time, but my number one guy who I'd worked with for years died a few months before Christmas last year. So my youngest son and I, you can see John in the, you know, over here on the left, and uh, all of our work. In fact, there's all kinds of fun stories about this photo. I'll, let me tell you one because it, it'll kind of set up the story I want to tell. Just want to make sure I'm I'm cool, right? Yeah. All right. So the the two the two tall guys in the back, the guy in the in the dark shirt is named Sam. The the guy in the light shirt with the beard in the back is named Nile. Oh, here's a funny story. So. Most, uh, what we would call them in country, Kendrick, you know, our majority back, background believers, they came to know Christ through a dream or a vision that led them to Scripture, that led them to Christ. I never found anybody that came to Christ just from a dream. They always went to Scripture, okay? But dreams have a big deal in that culture. So, the, the lady in the colorful dress right in the middle Those two boys are her kids. And Nile, the kid in the way back, my son John, his middle name is Niall, named after big kid in the back, Nile. But the other kid's name is Sam. Why is that? Because Niall had a dream when his mom was pregnant with boy number two, that if God that if they did not name their son Sam, after our number three son, Sam, that the baby was going to die. So what did they name their kid? Sam. You can believe it. Yeah, I mean, if somebody told you that, in fact, I had this kid in class the other day, Kendrick, who they just had a baby last week, and I said, hey, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you name the kid Edsel. Edsel's my real name, right? He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. But what if I'd have said, if you don't name the kid Edsel, he's going to die? I mean, it would be horrible, right? any rate, dreams and visions, so check this out. So the, the the other guy crouching, he and I and another guy, we collected thirty stories of guys who had had dreams, then went to scripture, then came to faith in Jesus. So here's one of those stories. And this story comes out from Western Sudan and then ends up in Khartoum where we are. So there was a guy who had been ill and uh, just couldn't get past it, and he'd had some of the imams come and pray and he'd done whatever he thought he could do, and nothing worked. And so he had a couple of Christian friends, and they came and prayed for him, and he actually was healed of whatever was going on with him. So he was laying in bed that night and just considering whether he should give his life to Christ. And as he's laying in bed, he's in a small room, and his brother is on another little rope bed on the other side of the room. This is just a small, like a, I mean, it's, it's her, it'd be about the size of this little white area up here. So he's on a rope bed over here and his brother's over there. And he's laying on his rope bed thinking about, you know, whether he should give his life to Christ because he had a witness from these Christians who prayed for him. And as he's laying there thinking about that, he looks and he sees in the corner of his room this giant. That's all he says, it's a, it's a giant. And he he remembers getting nervous and he runs over to try to wake his brother up and he says the giant grabbed him and the giant said I will not let you go to Christ I will take you and others like you to hell with me and he just remembers that giant just embracing him and then beginning to choke him and then he falls on his knees and he prays and he he just calls out for Jesus and he comes to ask Christ into his life but he ends the story by saying, or no, he heard a voice before that by saying, you'll never never live a life of victory outside of Jesus Christ. Then he falls to his knees, and he asks Christ into his life, and then he ends the story by saying, and the giant has not returned. Yeah, I like that. So he hears, you'll never live a life of victory outside of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph, in jesus christ so here's the point you or you may know people who in their life are not living a life of triumph or victory i mean it just seems like every road there's a block you're weary and jesus saw people like that weary and heavy laden maybe maybe you're just weary by your physical condition or maybe it's relationships or maybe it's decisions that you've made maybe it's hurts or habits or hang-ups that you have, and you've tried everything on your own to fix it. Let me tell you, the scripture says you'll never live a life of triumph or victory outside of Jesus Christ. It's not going to work. You're not going to be able to fix it yourself. The help you need isn't from something inside. The help is is something outside, and that's when Jesus comes into your life. Remember when we had VCRs? Remember those things? Most young people don't know. In fact, we were I don't even think we have one in our little storage shed anymore, do we? I don't think so. But, I mean, Swiss Family Robinson on a videotape put my kids, you know, through their their elementary school years. But remember back then, if there was a big football game on, you had to tape the game. And then after church on Sunday, because we couldn't watch football on Sunday, right? All the football games were on Sunday. So after church on Sunday, we'd go home. One time, I think it was a big game that was going on. I was going to go home and watch it. And I had already put the video in, and it took you like you had to get a college degree to, to be able to program those video things. And so it was taped, and on the way home, Merla said, what are we going to do tonight? Because the, the plan coming home from our church on Sunday night, we go by the pizza guy at Domino's, get a pizza, go home and watch America's Funniest Videos with our kids, and then they go to bed, and then we sit. Then, then I go to get us a milkshake, because Merle and I had survived another day without killing our boys, Right. So as we're heading home, Merla says, oh, that game, well, so-and-so, I think it was the Cowboys. She says, I think the Cowboys won. I'm like, okay, great. So that kind of defeats the whole purpose of doing it. But then you're watching the game and you're watching everybody get all anxious on one side or the other, like you already know they're going to win, right? That's just the way it is. So here's what scripture says to us. Thanks be to God who, does it say he sometimes or often or every once in a while gives you the victory? No, he always leads you in triumph. And if you're not living like that, then you're really not living. You know, you're, you're not living. He always, lived, he always leads you in triumph. Triumph so much that at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's where Paul has that great statement, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Third thing is... You're called to be the fragrance of Jesus. And this is one of my favorite images in the whole thing. Verse 14 again, and he talks about that quite a bit. Through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Most people understand what that means now, this diffuses. Everybody have that in your translation, diffuses. My wife likes diffusing things, you know. You walk in the house and sometimes it just smells different and so there's this little thing that sits on the island and little smoke comes out little offerings are coming out all the time right (laughs) diffusing diffusing and so yeah I mean those images of the little sticks those are the cool little diffusers so you kind of get that image of diffusing so Paul's saying that that wherever we go we smell like something true not in necessarily the physical sense but we do we, you know you know that that's a truth you walk into a room and if there, there's some people in the room and when they walk in it just kind of sucks the life out of the room right your your presence has an impact wherever you are and he says we are diffusing the fragrance of Christ in every everywhere we go and some, for some it's an attractive smell for for others They reject that, but you're going to smell like something. There's an odor that you're going to smell like. Let me tell you a fun little Sudanese story. If you go around Khartoum, I don't know if you guys head these into the south, but you'll see these, these mats that are these circular straw mats like here on your left. And they're like big flat donuts. You see guys walking around town with those. There's a guy named Alan Moorhead. He wrote two books. One called the Blue Nile. One called the White Nile. And in those books, he said you can smell a Sudanese woman a mile away. And I never really understood that what that meant till we moved there. And you'd see these guys with these big, big mats. So here's what happens. And Merla knows this. I don't think Merla ever did it, but her friends that were getting married did it. So here's what you do. You would buy those mats, and you'd go back in the backyard. And you'd dig a hole, and you would put in coal and incense on top of that mat in that hole, and then you would take your clothes off, and you'd get your tobe, and you would wrap yourself in it, and then you would just sit on that coal on a little chair for as long as you could and smoke yourself. So when Alan Moorhead writes about that, what he's saying is that the incense, the bakhur that we used to call it, was so strong that you could smell a Sudanese woman a mile away. And so I, after reading that, I, became, I really began to notice that. I'd be downtown Khartoum and I'd get a whiff of something, and you'd look and you'd see a woman in a tobe walking by, and immediately you know exactly where she has been, right? She's been out in the backyard sitting over a hole full of incense just smoking herself. That's right. You knew exactly what she'd been doing. And I think Paul's image is exactly the same thing. He's saying... Wherever you go, whatever you do, people's heads ought to turn and they, know, they ought to know exactly what you've been doing, that you've been immersed in the presence and the person of Jesus Christ, that we're diffusing his presence and his fragrance wherever we go. So I love that little image. You are, you're, the, you're called to be the fragrance of Christ. And then lastly, he says, you're called, you're not a Christian peddler. And this is what this is what bothers my evangelism students the most is they feel like that when they go out to share Christ with somebody that they're kind of the sham wow guy Mm -hmm. that they're selling you know a product and they're trying to get sales. It's almost like those dudes at the Bass Pro Shop that are trying to sell you the green what blue green timeshares. You know, it's like if I see those guys, I just kind of go behind the Columbia shirts so I don't have to talk to those guys. But sometimes Christians get it in their mind that we're peddlers, you know, of, of the gospel. And in this part of the world, people totally understand peddling. We would buy vegetables on the side of the road. And when we bought watermelons, the watermelon merchants, if I went out to buy the watermelon, they would ask me to send my oldest son so that, they could, so that he could buy the watermelon from them and not me. And here's the reason why. If I went to buy the watermelon and the guy told me, yeah, this watermelon is 3,000 3, Sudanese pounds, I would go, okay, here you go, and I'd walk away. It was no fun for them at all because I'm not a bargain guy. When, so when my oldest son goes back, and now he's only like 12, 13 years old when he's doing this. He goes to the watermelon merchant, and the guy says it's 3,000 pounds. And Eddie's like, oh, how am I going to put my kids through school if I've got to pay you 3,000 pounds? You know, you're cutting my neck off. You know, we've got other bills to pay. I've got other things to buy at the grocery store. And so the guy would go, okay, well, how about 2,000? You know, how about 1,500? How about and so they just go back and forth. And those guys absolutely love that. And, it, in fact, it would be great if you could walk in, you know, stores here in the United States and go, oh, that's 25 bucks. I'll give you 20, you know. Like, as you're at the checkout, oh, my, my groceries today, every time we go to Walmart, every, you know, every time you go, to, you go to Costco or Sam's, it's like 200 bucks, right? What if when you ring that all up, you say, well, I'll give you 150 for it. And they're like, well, no, we're not going to take 150, how about 175? All right, all right, we'll do 175. So they like to do that, you know. That, that's, that's peddling. That's, that's the idea that he's, and he says, you can't look at sharing Christ like you're a merchant like that. In fact, it's more like this. It's more like you're sharing with somebody your favorite fishing hole, or you're telling them where to find gold. One of my friends, Phil, remember going to Petra? I had a friend at Petra. We met this guy in, in Amman years and years ago. And he said, if you're ever out in Petra, come find me. I live in a cave there. I work for the Department of Archaeology. And I'm like, yeah, sure you do. And my dad's, you know, my dad's the President of the United States. So we go to Petra, and uh, sure enough, I asked for this guy, and they said, yeah, his cave's right up there. <laughs> so we go up there, and there's, he's got a little metal door, and it's got his name on the door, Department of Archaeology. So Muhammad told me, he said, in Petra, if you're interested in finding pot shards and old coins, there's a hillside where all of the archaeologists dump their, their trash from after they've sifted the site, and there's all kinds of stuff there. And so he showed me and told me, where this special place was, and every time we go there, we take this back route. You go up to the high place in Petra, and then you go all the way down the back way back to the end of Petra, and there's this hillside that's just got shards of pot, pottery all over the place, and we found coins, Nabatean coins and stuff back there, because all, he wasn't selling anything. He was just giving me that information that says, here's what's going to enhance your trip here, and here's where you're going to find treasure. Paul says that's really what our job is as followers of Jesus Christ. You're not selling anything. You're just approaching people and pointing, pointing out to them where they can find this treasure that's worth more than anything they could ever imagine now and forever. You know, I, I think our world is seemingly at a crossroads and everything seems upside down, doesn't it? And the answer is more of us def- diffusing more of the fragrance of christ more of us diffusing him more of us living in victory and more of us pointing to gold what would it be like this this even today if you live this afternoon looking for open doors what would this community look like if more of you diffused the presence of christ wherever you went what would your relatives far from God look like if they saw your faith more to be a treasure to be shared than a product to be peddled? All right, I love this passage. I think it applies to us as missionaries and it applies to you every day of your life. God opens doors. God leads you in triumph. God wants to use you as his missionary here in West Hills and around the world to diffuse his, his beauty wherever you are. And you've got a treasure that you're called to share and diffuse to everybody else. Let me lead us in prayer, and then Kendrick will come back up, all right? Father, we thank you for this truth in your word. Thank you for that uh, gift that we have in Jesus. I thank you for this church and their commitment to be involved in, in the world, in missions, right here in West Hills and around the world as well. Just use them, bless them. I pray for people here this morning individually in their own lives who who feel like they're in a, a bind and that you can just affirm in their heart that you're a God that opens doors and leads them in triumph and that that triumph is in Christ. And today, if they've been trying to work it out all on their own, that even now they would just come before you and say, Father, forgive me, come into my life, make me whole I want to follow you as Savior and Lord. I want you to call the shots in my life. And bring to mind people that we may know who who need to hear a gospel conversation, who need to see the presence and the person of Jesus Christ in our life. Bless this church and the leadership team here. We commit that to you all in Jesus' name, amen.